Okay. Are you excited? I'm always excited to be with you, Lindsay. Same. <laughs> Same. It's going to be lovely. Mm. <sighs> so I am just, I'm feeling really grateful to be having this conversation with you because we have, we've sort of had this conversation a few times in different ways and in different contexts. And I think it's always so beautiful to contemplate the, the things and difficult to contemplate the things that we are going to try to talk about today. But um, one of the reasons I wanted to have this conversation with you in particular is because you were the first person to awaken me to this idea that there is actual research available to us that shows us that it's possible for people to be more productive towards the ends of their life than even in the middle of their life when they're in career mode or family mode. Can you talk about that study that you read and share what you shared with me? Well, it's kind of a funny story because when I read that, it was from the New England Journal of Medicine. And uh, and they talked about the most productive decade is from 60 to 70. And the second most productive decade is from 70 to 80. And so later I found out through Snopes that that might not have been an actual, you know, article from the New England Science <laughs> Journal, but Thanks, it sure Snopes. did give me, you know, wind <laughs> beneath my wings. And so, of course, I did some further research and I found a wonderful TEDx um, talk that didn't talk about, you know, what you and I have said about the third act, but actually from the halftime Institute. And so really cool. Uh, I can even give you the link if folks want to look at it about the most productive years of your life may surprise you yeah. with Lloyd Reeb. So I, I would just say that he affirmed uh, what was in the article and really brings it in around your wisdom from the years, your willingness to uh, to capitalize, in his words, because he's a business guy, on your uh, on the things you've learned, that you've honed your skills, that you've created a way to do good work better and even more meaningfully. And so uh, I'll leave, I'll let that stand on its own. I can tell you that in my personal journey and in my journey with individuals and spiritual direction in either second half or third act uh, of life, I have discovered that these things are very true. Mm. Say more about that. <laughs> okay, well, let's talk about the crash and burn of Claire at 39 yeah. years old, right? So um, a very um, a very high energy three, uh, very also very high in eight and seven, but the three was on top. And uh, and so there was really a, a spin it, you know, get it, just do it mentality. And uh, and I was diagnosed with MS and had a tragic addiction. Um, that we were facing with one of our most beloved uh, ones in our family and uh, and the death of a sister. And 
everything came crashing down. At, at all of the ego structure that this is what proves I have worth. This is what says mm -hmm. uh, Claire matters in the world because she mm -hmm. can do this or she has done that. There were really significant if we could say the F word for threes, failures, mm. that gave me a way to look internally in a convent with the Loretto sisters in uh, Wheaton, Illinois, and began a three-year journey of um, taking a look at uh, what my life had been. And if I was going to live with this diagnosis, um, what was the invitation now with um with you know numb limbs and and you know and diplopia how could i live um as a true self three that has the energy to uh to want to be all up in it mm. when my body was betraying me and how could i befriend my body uh in order to move so so i went from what i call production mode to reproduction mode. Uh, mm. Reproduction meaning learning how to create uh, from a place of intimacy and not just like a manufacturer, you know, yeah. hanging it out, doing it, just doing it, working hard, you know, all of that kind of thing. And, uh, and so reproduction in the second half of life or the third act for every uh, Enneagram style, I believe, is the invitation uh, that you take a look at those things you did in the earlier years of life and say, and what might be even more true now of me? Yeah. And how can I live from a place of intimacy with my own soul, my dear ones, like my closest people, right? Yeah. And in my faith tradition, it would be beginning with my love for the one who created me. Yeah. Yeah, beautiful. Um, so I want to I want to come back to those ideas. I also want to back up a little bit and just kind of be vulnerable for a second. Or I guess I want to name a reality for all of us and why I feel like this conversation is so important. I believe that we all hold some amount of fear with us whether consciously or not, of growing older and of death, ultimately. And I've observed, as I'm sure you have, that our culture really supports that and enables that. Um, and I was telling you about this meme that I saw, and it was this, you know, this icon, teen icon from when I was in middle school, and I had the biggest crush on him. I was like part of his fan club and I would get monthly mail. Jonathan Taylor <laughs> Thomas, if anyone knows. <laughs> um, and I saw this meme that was like, if you ever had a crush on him, it's time for an eye cream. And I sent it to all my friends I went to middle school with. You know, we used to gush about JTT and we had a good laugh about it. Um, but if I'm being totally honest, there was a little bit of a sadness there for me and a moment where I had to go, oh, <laughs> okay. So this is what is supposed to be expected of me at this point is that I begin to be self-obsessed <laughs> with staying young, with my appearance, with keeping wrinkles at bay and 
all of the messages that I feel like are on constant, constant replay that say, this is something you should be afraid of is growing old. This is something that you should actively practice avoidance of, that you should invest your time, your money, your resources into a completely vain endeavor. Because first of all, it's impossible. (laughs) It's impossible. Um, And second of all, gravity. (laughs) Yes, gravity will happen (laughs) to every part of me. And um, second of all, it doesn't resonate with what is truest about me and what I really want for my life. And so in a season of life where I feel like what I want the message to be that's on repeat for me is that it's time to come awake Mm. to whatever this season of life is inviting you to, whatever it is for you to be present to and the work for you to do right now to come awake and alive to that. I'm getting this other messaging that says, fear, be afraid, run away. Nip it, um, tuck it, yeah. lift it, boost it. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so that's kind of the space I'm in right now. I'm in what we would call like the second act of my life. I feel like my career is settled and I'm enjoying my career. My family is, you know, in a flow and there's so much to to be excited about at this point in my life. And yet I'm thinking the day is coming. All of this is passing away. Um, And so I would love for you to speak about that (laughs) and whatever, whatever is lifting for you. Um, But I think my wondering is what do we do? What do we do to prepare for what we know is coming in a way that feels true to our souls, to the deepest part of us that there's, there is a deeper message that says, no, there's more, Mm. there's more to your life Mm. than just getting rid of your wrinkles. Oh, come on. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, and I think um, you get to name something uh, in your, you know, in your Mm thirties, you can intentionally begin to bring levity to that gravity. Mm. You know, that there is a way for you to say, and what else is true here? Yes. Okay. So there is, uh, my body is having a response to this age, this stage, and what is happening in my soul and how am I nourishing this part of my soul in order to live as I'm created to live in this season? Mm-hmm. And I, I think I've told you, you know, when our um, when our son um, died and I was 28 years old, my dad had that, you know, mortality talk with me and, and talked about losing his mom early. And um, and I think that was such a wonderful formational experience in that and has continued to be my teacher all my life that um, how do I want to live now? right here, right now, you know? I mean, I definitely get more than 24 hours. The fruit fly only gets 24. I don't know. Maybe I don't get more than 24. But on this day, how can I reproduce in a way that is true to my soul, true to loving Lindsay on this day while I'm having this conversation with you, right? Mm -hmm. 
and in a way to be fully alive. And I think what Scott said to me after I went into the Loretto Sisters convent for three years, uh, he made a comment that I was more productive when I started to rest than when I was just, you know, putting the hammer to the nail at all day, every day into the wee hours. Um, that from a place of rest, I could actually discern something that you just said, like, really, am I going to do that? Because it's going to happen. It's going to happen anyway, right? And so how can I live in a way that is fully alive now? And in my 20s or my 30s, how can I invest in the second half of my life, the third act, Mm -hmm. um, so that, you know, I can face into the inevitable that there, you know, all things are passing away. From dust we came, from dust we shall return. And and so we say, okay, now how can I pay attention? Uh, you know, you can go with like the Stephen Covey idea to, you know, imagine yourself on your deathbed, or you can do what the guy, you know, Ignatius Loyola, who I like to call Iggy, said, do a reg- <laughs> you know, regular examine of your life to say, oh, where did I feel life? here today? Where did I feel like I moved away from life today? And then I can make a different choice in the next days of my life. And so even second half, third act, wherever we are, we're making decisions out of where we percolated. Like where did the cells of my life say, I am here. I am awake. This is me. I want to do this because it's who I am inside not something I'm trying to manufacture or prop up to be worthy or loved or connected or secure or empower. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I, and the word that's coming up for me is presence when I hear you talking about that. Well, there's a beautiful, um, you know, I've already quoted from my tradition about, you know, Dust you came, dust you shall return. And the the Buddhists have this lovely way of practicing mortality, a mortality meditation, where they allow themselves to picture all that they have uh, on a platform and then allow it to disappear. And then they picture all the people they love, all the relationships they love, and they allow them to disappear. And then they picture themselves on the platform. And they allow themselves to disappear, right? And that's kind of it. So I kind of take it to another realm of I say, and now what is appearing? You know, what is my sense of what's next? What does the end of this life look like in the next? And, Mm -hmm. And I allow that to emerge uh, and live from a space of hope and light and uh, glory, you know, um, that this, I am in this space of living. Uh, and if I practice, if I practice dying regularly, I'm going to live fully. Because you know how it is when someone you love passes away, like everything that's meaningless, you, you could care less. Mm-hmm. Right, you could care less. You're in that space where what matters really matters. And if we could live there, like, oh, what really matters right now? Where am I fully alive? Having a conversation with Lindsay about what matters 
I'm fully alive, mm. right? Uh, writing that partic- on that particular subject, oh my gosh, I love to write about X, Y, or Z. You fill in the blank. That makes me feel fully alive. And so, you know, I, I think that with the end in mind, we live more fully present and and like, yeah, this matters right here, right now. And I want to do that. I want to do more of that. How can I do more of that? You know? Yeah. <sighs> yeah. So one thing that I think about sometimes, I'm wondering if you ever think about this for yourself too, imagining myself as an Enneagram too. And how that's looked in different seasons of my life. Mm-hmm. And most recently, I feel like I've been, I've been able to construct a pretty solid, you know, ego identity around being a mother and a wife. And how there, there are a lot of resources for me about how to do that in a way that is whatever you want to call it, not codependent, healthier, um, (laughs) more adapted, whatever labels you want to put on it. And so I find that there's a lot of resource available to me to learn how to be a two with others at this point in my life in a way that supports them and myself in healthy ways. And at the same time, I can feel like, well, I am still attached to being needed by my children. I still feel this attachment to being needed by my husband. And I already feel my children growing older, um, wanting to practice their independence and their individuation. And my son said to me the other day, (laughs) he's going to be 12 this year. And he was reminding me of that at bedtime. And he said, you know, mom, I'm going to be 12 this summer. And, um, I'm going to start asking for a lot more respect around here. <laughs> All right. Come on. <laughs> and um, I, I love that, that confidence, you know? And also I, I thought, wow, he needs me less and less every day. Mm-hmm. And I know someone would say, well, you're his mother. He's always going to need you. But I just mean in all the ways that inflates my two ego, you know, I feel myself overly attached to that at times. And so there's this thing in me that says, yeah, this is going to keep happening. Mm. And I think about myself as an old woman and what it might feel like to have my children busy with their own lives, maybe my grandchildren busy with their own lives, to be spending more time by myself, to be less maybe capable for whatever reason of getting to my communities where I Mm. find a sense of identity and belonging and I wonder how to be in my tunis mm. as an old woman, how to nurture myself with this message of you are loved mm. in moments where maybe for most of my life, I've understood being loved and feeling loved um, to be attached to other people. And um, so I contemplate that. I wonder if you ever contemplate in your threeness, you know, what what does that look like, and how do we how do we do that well? Mm-hmm. How do we get to that point where we can be fully ourselves without maybe some of those disordered attachments? Mm-hmm. You know that is the question, isn't it? Uh, day by day, 
to say, what am I attached to? What is a disordered attachment? What is keeping me fully from being alive on this day? And so even you're practicing and noticing, okay, so my son needs me less and it is good. And it is loving for me Mm. to let him go. And for me, it is effective for me to let him go. Like I'm not losing myself. It's like, this is a part of Mm. the goodness, right? It is the, you know, it is helping them be unique to let them go. If you're a four, it is letting them practice their wisdom. If it, if I'm a five, it is letting in, you know, all the way around the, the letting them be loyal to themselves and letting Mm -hmm. them adventure by themselves and letting them show up in power by themselves. And, I think with the gravity, there's got to be the levity. There's got mm. to be this, you know, as we're looking at what the letting goes are, there is, and what is coming awake in me mm-hmm. and in the one that I'm connected to, in the organizations that I care about. You know, having been, uh, my husband and I, as you know, we're founding pastors uh, of Crossroads 32 years ago. And we keep asking ourselves, um, what is ours to do in this season? What is ours to let go of in this season? And it's awesome because as we let go, we are opening to what else is effective for me and peaceful for Scott and, you know, and all yeah. the way as he's a nine. And I think that, uh, that invitation to continue to become yourself, as Kierkegaard would say, you know, with God's help, I shall become myself. Mm-hmm. And and are we becoming ourselves? You know, are we living into the ourselves or is it just type structure? Is it ego mm-hmm. structure, mm-hmm. right? Or are we really becoming ourselves? So I was super happy to find that article, Lindsay, you know, I was, that found out that I was more productive in my 60s than, <laughs> than ever before. I was like, yes. And and even it kind of catapulted me. It's like, okay, we're doing these uh, formation retreats for the officers in the Salvation Army in Canada. Cool, cool, cool. We're going to, we're going to be on the Fathoms podcast. That's awesome. You know, like we're <laughs> going to get to offer some, some wisdom that, you know, belongs to people that have lived a bit. I, so I feel like as the way is closing, as my neck gets more and more wrinkled, you know, as my my face begins to tell the story of the gravity mm. of my life, you know, mm. like I always called these my worship lines, like this was where <laughs> I, you know, I was really intense when I was singing or, you know, in church and, you know, all of that kind yeah. of thing. Or my mom would say, if the wrinkles, how did she say it? If the lines go up, they're expression lines. If they go down, they're wrinkles, you know, so... You know, she'd always say, keep your chin up, keep a smile on your face. Well, I, but that, you know, that is only part of life. That's only a part. And I feel, I feel as though my wrinkles also free people to, you know, it's like I, my, my shows my concern, my care where I've grieved that this, this is a person who has lived some life. How are you doing, my friend? That was powerful. That was a really powerful statement. Can you say that again? 
what might even be better is for you to say <laughs> what you heard. My wrinkles free people. Whew. Now this might be overstating something for some, but I'm not kidding you. One of my favorite faces on the planet was Mother Teresa. Oh, yeah. And you've been in my training, so you know I use her face with all the faces. Um, or maybe you were in earlier than this, but I used her face for all the faces meditations, right? That there is this invitation to say, do you see the care, the concern, the depth, the, you know, uh, the longing, um, the grief, uh, the, you know, the joy in this face, you can, you can see um, that her face reflects real life and life more abundantly. Yeah. An abundant life is abundant joy and abundant sorrow, abundant, you know, I mean, gravity and levity. It's just, it's in her face. Yeah. And, and her face frees me. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's such a powerful statement to me because, you know, like we were talking earlier about culture, we're so conditioned we don't even realize it, but I just want, I want to, to name this and call our attention to it. It is a reality that we are conditioned to see older faces mm-hmm. and to associate, like we have all these biases around aging and being elderly and wrinkles and how beautiful to imagine you know, a way of living where we can see wrinkles and we can hear stories and we can be freed, you know, freed into hope of what is coming because we're looking into the face of a person who has wrinkles and they are free. (laughs) (laughs) That is... That is what Mm -hmm. I want my energy to go toward is Mm -hmm. imagining associating wrinkles with freedom. That is so, I will hold on to that Mm. forever. Mm. That's beautiful. Mm. Mm. And of course, I think some of the reasons that we are afraid is because we do see people with wrinkles in physical pain, emotional pain, grieving. Mm. There is pain with aging. There's pain with life, you know? Mm-hmm. That doesn't have to mean the absence of joy. And that mm-hmm. doesn't have to mean the absence of freedom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Lindsay, you know, uh, and of course your your listeners won't be able to see this. So maybe it's just for me and you. I I I don't know. But um you remember in my training the picture that I that I show, and I'm going to share my screen with you right now so you can see it, of my dad. Mm. And um, my favorite face. (laughs) Yes. That's held me right up close, right? And um, I I would do his fingernails every week when he was 93 years old um, and, you know, just gaze into his face. And I, I, uh, and I could see my dad is hilarious. He's got, he had a sarcastic sense of humor. He wasn't 
he was not schmaltzy like me. And, uh, and, <laughs> and he, you know, his face wore the marks. He wore the marks of his life on his body, right? Oh. It was there, you know, marching with Dr. King in the 60s. And the fear for his family when we got death threats, when he was on the Archbishop's Council for Race Relations, all in his face. Like, I hope my kids and my grandkids and my congregation, you know, my friends, when they see the wrinkles that I get to share with the world, that they say, I wonder where that came from. I wonder what's the story there. Why did Claire always hold her, you know, what, I mean, if she maybe did this, maybe it wouldn't be like that. What, what was, what, what did she carry in her body mm-hmm. that now I can trust because she understands she's lived there. She's enjoyed that. She's grieved that, right? Mm-hmm. Which is why maybe this is why it's a great productive time in the third act. If we could actually be present to people in the earlier decades to normalize gravity, to normalize levity, to, you know, to embrace all of it, to, you know, pour a cuppa of whatever it is. You've had cuppas of everything at my house and to say, <laughs> you know, and, and let's, let's talk about where we are, where we've been. Yes. And yeah, and that's productive. That produces life. That that is sharing life until the end in a way that matters. Whew. Yes. I love that. I'm wondering what it would be like if you feel open to this, if we could go imagining that third act of life, if we could go around the circle, the Enneagram circle. Mm-hmm. And can you give an encouragement for each type who may be at the end of the second act in the third act fully, maybe just, just entering the third act um, Hmm. about maybe what is the truest thing about them or. um, Hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. I would love to do that. Um, When I think about Enneagram style one, and the way that, you know, life is structured and they're looking at the right way to proceed into the third act, that they actually, A, may be able to let go that there is no right way, but that they also might then write down ways that led them into a good path that was good for their souls to help themselves and others. Oh, and I I think about the beloved twos and the way our Enneagram style twos give themselves so fully. And just, I love uh, the feeling of being with the twos. Um, and, And so I wonder if as they want to concern themselves with the well-being of those around them, they could actually invite them into the places of their own uh, gravity and the uh, the places of their own pain and offer a shared space there of how they're choosing love in the pains of the third act, the aches of the third act for their own lives. 
I, I wonder if our threes, uh, if it would be helpful for our threes who, you know, I, even when my dad died, I actually decided I was going to grieve when I got to Italy six months later and could stand in the place of our people, right? <laughs> and people said, you can't, you cannot plan your grief. I said, oh, no, I don't think you understand. I mean, I've already been grieving, but I'm going to do a full on like, effective grief when I go sit with the poor Claire's in Orvieto and Ooh. think about my dad that you could actually that three that you say to people you can intentionally create spaces to walk through your grief so that you can enter fully into it and you're not distracted effective grief I love mm. that <laughs> yeah worked for me yeah <laughs> And then I, you know, the fours, I mean, I, you know, I, my first spiritual director was a four. And when I think about fours in the third act who are able to drop into the pain of other people and the goodness of that, right? The goodness of their being able to go into their pain. And then also to say, oh, but also what have been the joys, Mm -hmm. What have what are the grateful experiences that I have so that we don't become morose or morbid, right? But but giving the full on for yourself and your your community to say, here is life and here's the way I've lived it. Mm. Um I, I think about fives and I I that's funny. No pun intended. You think I think about fives. <laughs> And they want rational actions. So, you know, I have a five who's already decided how they're going to die. Like they want the cocktail mm -hmm. right next to their bed so that mm -hmm. if they get diagnosed, they can take care of it just like that. Right. And, um, and so I have, I've held that with them as they've talked about it and said, well, what would it be like for you to stay engaged and open hearted? And not just bringing a rational action to your third act. What would it be like for you to engage your heart with people in that third act? And, and then, you know, maybe with our, our style sixes and their worst case scenarios and thinking, well, I, you know, I, I better have the best uh, health insurance. I have one six that has that kind of health insurance that I don't have. That like you could go to a nursing home and make sure that it all gets paid for mm. kind of a thing. <laughs> I wonder, I wonder if it, what it would be like for sixes to be fully their loyal self with their others, you know, the, those in their life and say, um, you know, what would it be like for us to be loyal together in my third act, uh, to be fully alive, to offer you the ways that you can prepare for things, but that I'm not living in a catastrophic mindset. Uh, and then sevens, you know, I think, I wonder if sevens could help us all keep adventuring, you know, that they would, they would not let go of their, uh, you know, their eternal child, their Peter Pan feeling that they'd actually, um, but also they would settle down and in and feel their heart uh, and say, you know, here are the, here are the losses I've had in addition to the gains. And here's how I want to live this third act. I want to live, I want to live fully wholeheartedly, uh, whole-mindedly, you know, whole bodily. I want to be stable and, and, and hold it all. 
you know, I wonder if eights, when I think about the eights in my life, because my dad was definitely an eight and he had lots of two and lots of five going on and that, you know, the way that he lived into his eightness uh, was so vulnerable in his, you know, losing his sight, losing his hearing and, you know, and strength in his body. But he, he was still, he felt like a rock to me because he would just look at me and say, and what's happening? What's happening in the world right now? What's happening in your world right now? And I felt like he was still so present to, to life in his very end of his third act. And then maybe nines, you know, the nines that they really are that, that presence of peace and, and solidarity with the whole world. Maybe they not only give us that gift in the third act for us, but they also feel their own inherent greatness and allow mm. that to be a part of what they're producing in the world. So, you know, ones will keep producing goodness and twos love and threes effectiveness and fours their originality and fives wisdom and sixes faithfulness and sevens joy and eights, you know, protection or uh, and nines peace. They're going to keep becoming more themselves uh, if they are willing, awake, present, and free, you know, to say that this is where I've been. Here's the gravity and the levity of my life. And I want it to be all here now in whatever way I'm being called to reproduce. Mm, that's wonderful. Thanks for letting me put you on the spot there. I just thought of that just, <laughs> just now. So. <laughs> and maybe it was just for us and it'll hit the cutting. Yeah, right. Uh, maybe we can do better with it on another day, but it's a beginning <laughs> thought. That's so wonderful. Oh, well, we are kind of coming to the end of our time together. And I'm wondering if you would be willing to lead me through a meditation, lead, take us through a meditation um, to just kind of help us digest and also give us maybe a tool that we can return to in moments where we're contemplating our third act, our future, our death, our mortality. Can you take yeah. us through that? Well, I will be happy to practice with you. <laughs> How about that? Yeah. Yes. Oh, well, why don't we just uh, get comfortable wherever we are, whatever that looks like for you. Some people want to lay down. If they're yoga types, they want to actually do corpse pose <laughs> for something like this, right? And, uh, <laughs> and others of us might just want to sit in the chair and feel ourselves in the chair and notice if you want to just adjust so that you can be more here now. And follow our breath, this wonderful breath. This is the first thing you did this side of the womb, and it will be the last thing you do this side of mortality. And even as you're breathing, just follow your breath in and down, up and out.
allowing each breath to make you aware that you're alive right here and right now. You didn't have to think about this when you were born. It's the gift of being here. And notice your breathing is the connection to your outer body and your inner body. Each breath here is precious. And notice how even this breathing is being done with other people that you may never see. And we're sharing a collective breath. A breath that's giving us the brilliance of oxygen and expelling carbon dioxide that's also necessary for our world to be well. And then even as you're breathing, notice that you're taking in and you're letting go. This is the breathing process. And this is the living process. You're practicing, receiving, and letting go. You're practicing mortality and immortality. As you're breathing, remember that you've been given things like your name. And someday you'll let go of your name. You've been given a face, hot from the hand of God at birth and the one you have now. And you'll be letting go of your face. You have a reputation that you've built and are building and you'll be letting go of your reputation. You have relationships that you've received. They've been given to you. And you'll be letting go of relationships. And just notice what's standing out for you now. Even as we've been doing this breathing, what, what seems to stick that you want to stay with? What's falling away that has less significance? Maybe even allow what is sticking to become even larger. What is, what is growing in your awareness as most important now? What you're receiving here and now, what's being given? 
notice where the life is what you want to give your breath to what deserves your energy and let that fully come right here into your mind's eye letting it grow larger the gifts that you bring the skills that you've honed what you've let go of is less important and give your full attention here and bring your breath to it bring your energy to it say how can i do more of that how can i be present to more don't have to have an answer but this is the question that has uh, has dictativeness the one that shouldn't leave you how can i be more present here to bring the presence of goodness and love and effectiveness and originality and wisdom and faithfulness and joy and my good power and my peace can I bring this wrinkled face of mine or this face that looks forward to having a story of the ways I've been present in love in grief in joy in levity in gravity this is what's waiting for me right now in the first half the first act the second act the third act this is all here for me now waiting for me and then when you feel ready to the room you're in the body you're in breath you've been given and know that this practice is available to you anytime you feel stuck and overly attached functioning in some ego that's unhelpful you can come back to what is most true that you're made to live and die all the way there
Thank you. Love you, Lindsay. I love you too.